Hello and welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. It's episode 36. I am Zach Falconer-Barfield and again sitting opposite me is the debonair and delightful Mr. James Marwood. How are you, James? I'm very good. Thank you, Zach. I'm loving these intros. They're very good for my ego. <laughs> we shall always keep doing them, Zach. Excellent. Excellent. How are, you, how are you, my friend? I'm very well. I'm very well indeed, actually. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. Chipper. Chipper. Excellent. I would possibly put that down to the excellent biscuits we had before the uh, we came on air. They were fantastic biscuits. Yes, dark chocolate, spicy ginger biscuits. Mm, perfect gentleman's perfect biscuit combustible. Yes, indeed. Yes, <laughs> yes. So what's on the agenda for today then, Zach? It's politics month, as we've mentioned last week, uh, all of November. There's some election that's just happened. I think I saw something about it on the yeah, news. Yeah, some, some news item mm. about it. So we're sort of talking politics all month yes. at The Perfect Gentleman. Today we're talking about the art of speaking well, which is very important mm-hmm. for a politician. Indeed. Rory is going to talk to us about not talking about politics yes. and how to deal with talking about difficult subjects with yeah. people that you don't want to. Very important. We've got a little tribute to Nick Wing. Of course. And then um, you were talking about adventurous food. Yes. Well, I had had some interesting experiences recently, so I'll talk about those. So there we go. That's today's agenda. So speaking well in public. I mean, this is something you do a lot of, Zach. You speak in public regularly. Mm. How do you do that well? It's interesting. I think what is that great thing, and Death Came Third, was Andy Lapata's book about the most feared thing is actually public speaking. Yes. I'm very lucky. I always didn't mind it. Even when I was young, I mm. was kind of that precocious child who was quite happy to stand up in front of all the other adults and talk. Yes. And then I went to drama school, trained to be an actor, and even learned all the skills to stand up in front of others and talk. Excellent. And then after that, I got very much into watching and learning how presenters spoke and mm-hmm. how other people spoke. But it's interesting because technically I'm an introvert. Yes. So I actually don't want to stand up in front of people and talk. Mm-hmm. I don't get my energy from that. Give me a book and a cigar and a quiet room and that yeah. makes me happy. But I have learnt the skills in which to stand up in front of people and yes. speak well. And politicians do this all the time and this is what they get trained to do. And they, some people are better at it than others, absolutely. But there's no need to fear it. Mm-hmm. So the art of speaking well, let's start with the speaking part because that's yes. the easiest part to deal with. Three things, tonality, language and pace. Pace is always the one I struggle with. So let's start with pace. Okay. Slow yourself down. Yes. That's the first rule. Most people speak fast. Yes. Generally too fast. Mm -hmm. And what happens is their brain is not catching up with what they are saying and then they fumble. Yes. So the easiest thing to do is to slow down, breathe, give yourself time to think about what you're going to say. Mm Mm-hmm. And pause, because actually pausing is incredibly powerful. So if you want to think about something, stop. Mm -hmm. If you can't get your thoughts in train, don't fill, which we frequently do. That's what I normally do, I have to say. It's just stop, Mm -hmm. breathe, think, and then continue. Excellent. People will wait. Yes, I mean, I imagine that doesn't quite mean sort of doing a Christopher Walken or William Shatner style random pauses in my sentence no i think you're right i mean if i think about the guys i've seen speak who are very compelling they're able to put across their message really well that ability to to pause is important when i talk to people about presenting and tips for good presentations i often recommend they go and look at ted talks and i recommend that they go and look at steve jobs as a presenter or go and look at really good politicians. Obama is a fantastic public speaker. Tony Blair is a fantastic public speaker. Margaret Thatcher 
was very, very skilled. Um, Churchill. Churchill, of course. And the way that they were able to do that, all of those people, the rhythm that how they spoke was very clear to follow. And they never seemed rushed, especially Churchill or Thatcher, completely in control of what they were saying and in their own time. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a trick. So the trick I got taught is breathe through your nose solely. Don't breathe through your mouth. Okay, that's interesting. So if you start breathing through your nose all the time, you have to pause because you can't talk and breathe at the same time. Yes. I believe Her Majesty does that. Okay. So if you watch her speak, Mm. she tends to breathe through her nose so she can speak with pace. That's really interesting. I'm going to look at that next time I see her speaking. Tonality. Tonality is incredibly important. What do we mean by tonality? The timbre of your voice. Mm -hmm. I'm relatively lucky. I know that the timbre of my voice is quite pleasant. Yes. And not everyone has that timbre. But you can modulate your timbre. So Mm -hmm. you can change the way your voice has. You can put on an accent. You can pretend to say something different. But you can listen to yourself. So the easiest way to do it is, of course, record yourself, play yourself back, and just keep making that change. And, and there are a number of ways and exercises mm-hmm. to do that. You can go online and have a look at those. One of the things I've learned through podcasting is that I dislike the sound of my own voice. But I think that's true for most people. That is true for most people. I spoke to some business psychologists. I did some work with them a few years ago at the Tavistock Institute. And one of the guys there was talking to me about how a deeper voice generally correlates better with people finding you compelling, both for men and women. But the going too deep becomes a problem. Yes. Not just because people can't necessarily hear you as clearly, but also that if you're too deep, you become either threatening or sound foolish. I think that tip of listening to yourself, trying to objectively get past the fact that you dislike the sound of your own voice, if you're anything like me, but learning then to speak in a way that is more pleasing to the ear is a really good idea. And the pace, you could do mm-hmm. that with as well. So the yes. pace and the tonality build on each other. Mm-hmm. We can throw all this out the window when we talk about Brian Blessed, who's a very deep and booming and completely... Yeah, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, but he's kind of unique. He is kind of unique. If our American listeners don't know who he is, please watch him on YouTube speak. You will have seen him. He was in Flash Gordon, the movie, with uh, Sam Jones in the mm-hmm. 1980s. And huge the... man, huge beard, huge personality. And fantastic voice. Absolutely. You like, know, like nothing else. Wasn't it someone saying that they want him to do the sat for them? Because it would be genius. Absolutely. Turn left here. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's interesting you talk about that because in that very theatrical skill of of really projecting, was I was at an event for part of LeWeb, the French and now London as well, startup internet conference. conference. And I was at an event there where there was a bit of a free-for-all where the chief executive of quite a big internet company, and I was moderating a conversation between him and somebody else, and then they threw it open to questions. And a guy who was very proud of his loud mouth sparked up with, well, since I'm the loudest man here, I'll get to... And this very slight, very nicely dressed, older gentleman next to him boomed in the most incredible voice, I beg your pardon, my boy, I went to Rada. (laughs) And... um, and the whole room fell silent at this magnificent received pronunciation, traditional English, deep, booming, projected voice. And it was blissful. That's great. Yes. So there are tips and tricks for that. Yes. And then of the last bit about the language itself and the art of speaking well is language. Our vocabulary these days is shockingly poor. Mm-hmm. I try very much to use as many different words as I possibly can when mm-hmm. I write and when I speak. Absolutely endeavour to make sure that 
all my things are not the same. I remember when I was a young man at school and we had English lessons and my English master at the time said, never use the word nice. If you use the nice or the word very, I will put a huge red line through your paper and you'll have to write the whole thing again. Yes. If you did it, he would put a huge red line through it, sometimes tear it up in yeah. class. You use the word nice, do it again. And only one nice, that would be it, or one very, and that would be it. Because he said, there are so many other words to use apart from those two. Our American cousins have a habit of using the word awesome. So the other thing is to be aware of your language, use language well. There's so many descriptive words out there to use for various different things think about them. The way to expand your language vocabulary is read more, listen more to people who speak well and great language, because language is so powerful. You need to be clear in what you say, and you need to put your message across to intentionally use long and confusing words, especially if you don't really understand them, that damages your message. But having that variety in what you say and not falling into the trap of weakening your message by using words like very or somewhat or kinder or things like that. A, a particular bugbear of mine was when working with people who speak using the telephone or voice conference calls or work in contact centres. They often fall into things such as sentence giggle, which is where you put unintentional or incongruous little giggles into speech because you're slightly nervous or you want to lessen the message. Or using that rising question intonation. AQI, something's called the Australian questioning intonation or valley girl thing where well, you kind of end all your sentences as if they're a question. Getting away from those sorts of things is really important. Exactly. The other thing is don't use acronyms mm -hmm. when you speak yes. publicly and don't use long convoluted what I call management speak words. So my great friend, Mai Davis, who is a lovely broadcast journalist, yes. wonderful lady, she writes out famous speeches in convoluted management speak language. And I'm just going to use one sentence yes. and then you can tell me what you think mm -hmm. the original sentence. It's a very famous sentence. So she says, we can engage in physical confrontation on sandy promenades that eject into the sea. We shall fight them on the beaches. <laughs> we shall yes. fight them on the beaches. <laughs> yes. And she writes out that whole speech yes. in management speak, mm -hmm. and it just kind of goes, oh, dear God. So I think it was Mark Twain who wrote a letter apologising for the length of this letter. I didn't have time to write a shorter one. This type of brevity and exactness of language is really important. It's very important when you're writing, but especially when you're speaking. Being able to do that and to put your point across succinctly and easily makes it much easier for people to pick up on the message. Absolutely. And choosing the right words to get the right emotion. So top five tips. Think about your pace of your language. Think about your tonality of your language. Think about the language itself. My other top two tips, breathe correctly. Breathe through your nose if you can. And stand well. Try and keep your chest up, mm -hmm. keep your shoulders up back and breathe well. Keep thinking about your body posture. Think about how you stand. Keep standing firm. Keep your chest expanded so you get the most lung capacity in. And also keep your head up. Most people will drop their, their chins down here and you tend to look at the floor. No, no, keep your head up. Look at the back of the room. Always look at the back of the room. And that also means that you don't look at anyone. You don't have to engage with eye contact. You just skim the tops of their heads and look at the back of the room. If I stand with an erect stance and my chest up and my shoulders back, I feel more confident. Absolutely. So if you want more details for that, there's an article in the November issue magazine. But also we do run the Art of Speaking Well course. It's a half-day course where we teach you all these kind of things and we also teach you more tips and tricks about mm -hmm. how to present and speak well in public. 
do go onto the website, perfectgentleman.tv, for more information or follow a link to the magazine. So, adventurous food. Food's something we talk an awful lot about. Really? <laughs> yes, <laughs> no. we do. We do, both on the podcast and off. We know we both enjoy our food, probably a little too much. As we say, tapping our large yes. bellies. Yes, yes <laughs> indeed. It's those, those biscuits again. But I had four days in beautiful Gran Canaria for a wedding. But it was a Colombian wedding rather than a Spanish, although all Colombians who, who live in Gran Canaria, which for those who aren't familiar with it, Gran Canaria is one of a series of islands off the coast of Morocco, which are, which are Spanish. Beautiful volcanic islands with glorious scenery and, as I found out, fantastic food. And because I travel quite a bit, I get the opportunity to enjoy food from lots of different places. I find that I tend to get stuck into certain types of things that I eat. A prime example of that, if I'm going to have chorizo, which is one of my favourite foods, I cook with it a lot at home. I quite often will choose something with chorizo on the menu if I'm out. Mouth-watering. I'm salivating at the thought. Yes. And chorizo, that sort of slightly dried, spicy paprika sausage, sometimes sweet, sometimes spicy. But it's a Spanish thing. So far as I was aware... Spanish chorizo was the one to have. I was in a restaurant with a group of Colombians and one of them was very good friends with the chef in this nice restaurant and I asked him to recommend me something. What sort of things do you like? I mentioned I love chorizo. He said, ah, I have something special for you. And he had some Argentinian chorizo that I would never have chosen that. What's Argentina know about chorizo? Apparently an awful lot. Um, <laughs> and it was it was very different, probably closer in style to almost like a Polish sausage, but deliciously lightly spiced and one of the nicest meals I've eaten in I don't know how long. Absolutely fantastic. And I would never have picked that or chosen that myself. So that's kind of my learning point, if you like, from the trip. Um, two learning points. If you have a chance to go to a Colombian wedding, go. Absolutely fantastic. Wonderful people had the most fun, but also be wary of letting yourself just fall into these traps of thinking you know it all about food or about any topic, really. You're most at danger of not knowing anything when you think you know a lot and actually you only know a little. But being adventurous with things like food is a great opportunity to learn more. And especially if you're going somewhere that you don't normally visit, don't just go with the tried and true staples. Go with something a little bit different. I shall have to go and dig out some Argentinian chorizo. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? I've travelled like yourself quite a bit. I love experimenting with food. I'll eat pretty much anything. I'm not a particular fan of offal. No, me neither. That's something my partner loves. And sometimes she'll buy it and cook it or not cook it. And I have to leave the room. But most of the things I'll try. I've tried some bizarre things. I've had insects and mm-hmm. I've had bizarre fruits and, yes. and, and vegetables and all different side of spiced things. And you do try things and you think, oh, that's really interesting. I mean, I remember the first time, which is quite common now, but I remember the first time <clears throat> 30 years ago, cough, cough, splutter, splutter, um, I had goat curry yes. for the first time. And I was just like, wow, this is fantastic. Absolutely. Goat. You know, first your mind goes, goat. And then you try it and you're like, Wow, this yes. is fantastic. The spices and the texture and all the flavour. <laughs> it was actually much the same when, and I found out slightly after the fact, it was in Texas, but it was a guy from Louisiana had brought gumbo and I was tucking into it. And he's like, so what did you think of, of that? It's fantastic. He said, well, you know, one of the things in there was, was alligator. Okay. I mean, I think he just assumed that I'd be, oh, no, I've eaten alligator. But actually, it was lovely. Mm. Absolutely delicious, and especially because it was cooked with the seafood and the spicy sausage, and there was chicken in there as well. Just fantastic gumbo. I tried it, I liked it. 
add it to the list. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to add it to the list. You've got to try all these things and see what happens. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. And you don't like the taste, you don't like the texture, whatever it is. Yes. You don't have to eat it again. Yes. Well, you've tried it, you've sampled it, move on. We live in adventurous times. Sorry, a sidebar that just sort of sprang to my head. Mm. I was listening to another podcast and uh, talking about the trites that people roll out yes. about London and the UK. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they always roll out is England has really bad food now. No, 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 no. London now, for me, and having been a Londoner born and bred or UK citizen born and bred for 40 odd years, although I've travelled the world, London's food scene now compared to 30 years ago, you can get anything. And that's true of a lot of the rest of the UK. And I have quite a lot of American friends who do joke about the bad food here. It's based on old preconceptions. In the village I live in, I live in a small village, maybe a a thousand people, got three pubs because it's an English village, two of which are quite passable for food and one is excellent. You could go to any one of them and have a good meal and you can go to one and have an excellent meal. If I think about some of the best places that I've been to eat and really, really loved the food, you know, I think about cities like San Francisco. Yes, fantastic food. Fantastic oh. fish there, fantastic tacos, burritos, things like that. I think about Florence and the fantastic Italian food. Barcelona, I mean, some of the Spanish restaurants are some of the best in the world. But also, as you say, London. So what we say is go out, be adventurous, try different things, try different places, try different foods. Be an adventurous gentleman. And then you might just find something like this Argentinian chorizo and then tell us about it. Good idea. Tell us about it. Drop us a line at inquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or let us know about your adventurous foodstuffs on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Take a photo. How many times you've taken a photo of what you eat? Well, tag us in Instagram and we shall admire your adventurous food choices. And probably try it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we will probably try it ourselves. Yes. We're now going to hand over to Rory and let him tell us a little about how you deal with um, difficult subject matters. Greetings and welcome once again to The Perfect Gentleman. My name is Rory Bulger, 2PG and etiquette and fine dining expert. And today's podcast is entitled Don't Talk Politics and we're going to be discussing all of the things that you shouldn't talk about in polite society. With the upcoming US election, Britain's imminent departure from the European Union and here in Indonesia political demonstrations over the election of the new governor, it's very difficult to avoid a political conversation. However, one has to be exceedingly careful when talking politics not to offend anybody, accidentally or otherwise. There are, of course, many other topics of conversation that are likely to cause offence, either because in some cultures they're considered taboo, or because people hold their views very close to their hearts and talking against them would be considered to be a personal slight. One of the topics of conversation that falls particularly into this latter category is religion. People hold their religious views very strongly, and if you were to criticise their faith or their particular views, you might very easily cause offence. In most cultures around the world, the amount of money that you make or have can be considered to be very personal, and asking questions about it is wholly inappropriate. Again, most societies around the world consider sex or intimate relationships of any kind to be an entirely personal matter, and to discuss them in public would be considered inappropriate unless you're well acquainted with those people you are having the conversation with and their particular views on the subject. Most men know, or should know nowadays, how inappropriate it is to ask a woman's age. 
However, this is not merely an issue of etiquette. In the European Union, asking a question about somebody's age, particularly during the interview stage of employment, is considered against the law as it would be unfairly discriminatory against those of certain ages. There are, of course, other things that should be avoided during a conversation. Talking about yourself continuously is one way to become a bore. Likewise, during a date, continually talking about your exes, either in flattering light or in an unflattering light, would be a real turn-off for the lady that you're with. Bragging, gossip, slander, foul language and jokes that pick on a particular segment of society are also considered to be inappropriate topics of conversation, especially among those that you first met. As always, more can be found on our website, www.theperfectgentleman.tv, our YouTube channel, our blogs and podcasts, and through our books available at Amazon. Well, thanks for that, Rory. Really interesting and very useful, as always. As I probably mentioned before, I'm a Freemason. There are only two topics which are off the table, discussions, Freemasons, and that's politics and religion, because they lead to discord between brothers. I think learning that and taking Rory's points there will be very useful. The last thing which is relevant is one of the things we talked about actually before we came on air with Andy. We were talking about Nick Wing, who we sadly went to his memorial service a couple of weeks ago, which was delightful and amazing. And it was lovely to see so many people there paying such a great man tribute. But one of the things we talked about and one of the memories we had of him was a thing that he did, which was really interesting and unusual in one sense but we're trying to spread the word of it yes a in memory of nick wing and also b it's kind of a nice thing it's nice and really useful so the thing we're talking about is when you're having a conversation with someone Mm -hmm. else or you were having a conversation with nick he would remember something or you would trigger some kind of point in his head when you're having a conversation and instead of interrupting you which a lot of people will do he used to cross his fingers you know like you're making a promise so you knew that he had something and then he would just put his hand down on his Thigh, or yes, a, tap it on his thigh, tap it on his thigh just to remember, remind him in crossed fingers way, and then he would f- let you finish your conversation. He'd reply to whatever mm-hmm. conversation you had, yes, with and, him. and what Nick was wonderful for doing was he never just waited for you to stop speaking so he could speak. Yes, he always listened as we tried to do, and as a polite and useful thing to do. And then after he'd responded to your conversation, he would remember his crossed fingers, and you would remember it as well. So he would do it, you would do it, and you would remember that something had sparked in his brain, and you'd have those crossed fingers tapping on his leg to remind you. He made his point, whatever that thing was, was reminded. Andy was saying that he does this all the time, mm-hmm. and I do it actually reasonably occasionally as well. And he said that Andy had passed this on to another chap that mm-hmm. he works with. And this other chap is a young man, he's in his 20s, and he's passed it on to a group of his mates, and they all call it a Nick Wing. Yes. And they all do this thing, this yes. cross fingers remembering thing, calling it a Nick Wing. So what we would like you to do out there in podcast land that yes. listens to us perfect gentleman things is... Why not do this? Instead of interrupting someone or engaging or forgetting something, do your little crossed fingers, keep it going, and then call it a Nick Wing, spread the word, be polite, do a Nick Wing. Absolutely. I think that'd be great. And I'm going to start doing that more because it is so useful that it lets you 
keep track of where you are, but not interrupt or disrupt the conversation. Wonderful. Excellent. So do a Nick Wing. I shall do so. James, as always, a pleasure to speak to you. And you, my friend. And, and see you. you in person. Indeed. It's quite jolly doing this together. Yeah, it's fun. Live at the Pistachio Palace. Indeed. We will speak to you next week. Indeed we shall. Have a good week, my friend. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.